You're listening to a podcast from St Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Well, it'd be great to have your Bibles open. So Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be focusing today. Actually, when I first planned that we would look at this for New Year's Eve, I thought, I can't imagine a better section to, to look at. This is incredible, only to discover that this isn't a particularly unique idea. I've, I've since found that Chris Wright, the uh, preeminent missiologist, has done the same thing. Uh, John Stott, guess what? He looked at this passage as well for New Year's Eve. So that's where we're looking and focusing today. There's an outline on the back of the news. So there are sermon points there in Korean, English, uh, Dinka and Simplified Chinese. So please make use of those if they're of help. But right now, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the gift of this year and also for the year ahead. Would you please help us to offer our whole lives to you that we would not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed in the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, people have lots of ways, lots of preferred ways to prepare for the new year, but on the precipice of 2024, I reckon there is nothing like a fresh wall planner, yeah, or or a new diary with page after page of crisp blank space. Actually, when I was a kid, one of my most favourite things to do in the whole world was to sit down with my array of highlighters beset upon my desk, ready to deploy the potential of planning. Now, you might prefer to approach the new year a bit more chaos than me, that's, that's okay, but there is something about a new year approaching which is like a blank slate, a clean start, a year ready to be populated with plans, goals, and resolutions. Sometimes that's because we've got hopes to avoid disappointments or regrets of the prior year. Sometimes that's because we're aspiring to fulfil a hope or a longing that has gone unfulfilled. Sometimes it's just because it's a way of giving us a sense of control or direction or even self-worth. But on the eve of a new year... As good as planning and goals can be, I want to suggest that there's something even better than a New Year's resolution, something better that will shape and orientate our lives to God and for God. That before we form New Year's resolutions, that we'd adopt a New Year's rhythm of life. So go go with it with resolutions if that's your thing, but let the foundation of your New Year be a rhythm that sets your hearts, your all, on God. Here in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of of Romans exhorting, extolling, explaining and exploring the wonders and the beauty of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. And now as we come to chapter 12, a whole new section begins. We see that in the therefore. He's saying because of that, because of the wonder of the gospel, all that has been unfolded in those 11 chapters, now let's get practical. 
So that therefore marks a shift between what the gospel is and how to live the gospel out. I want you to note that when Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, the urge there is basically one tiny step short of a command. But also note how important the order of things is here. That as we seek to put the gospel into practice, we do so not to earn our worth or our way before God, but in response to the mercy that we have already received. In view of God's mercy, our whole lives become one continuous act of worship to him. In view of God's mercy, uh, John Stott once said that that's apostolic shorthand for all the 11 chapters that have, have preceded this section of, of the beauty, the wonder, the costliness and the gift of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, that's where our new year and actually every day should begin. We can often go into a new year with so much pressure to, to perform. It, it might be in our career, our families, our finances, our study, whatever it might be. We might find ourselves motivated by resources or leisure or accolades or progress. But Paul is urging something completely countercultural that our lives wouldn't be ultimately motivated by something we have or could achieve, but that we'd be motivated by something that has already been achieved for us. God's loving mercy should be the driving force behind our lives. God's mercy should be the springboard for our new year. And so this is an invitation. It's an invitation to be liberated from the need to strive as the source of our hope and our worth, and instead, delight in something that you already have in Jesus. So what would a New Year's rhythm look like in response to, to God's mercy? I think Paul outlines three parts. That in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to God, do not conform to the pattern of this world, and be transformed in the likeness of Jesus. So first, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to God. Let's have a look again at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when the original hearers first heard this language, it would have been really startling. Uh, this is temple language of, of worship and of making sacrifices. When we think of making sacrifices, our thought might be like giving something up or taking the rubbish out for a loved one or having to watch a whole day of cricket or something. Uh, but the original hearers, they would have immediately thought of animal sacrifices. Now, this was a costly, messy and necessary business. For Jews, there was a range of sacrifices on various occasions that needed to be made. But now there's been a fundamental shift, like a tear in the fabric of space and time. That because Jesus has become the perfect sacrifice made once and for all, the sacrificial system in the temple is no longer needed. It's been eclipsed and fulfilled in Jesus. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of the letter spelling that out. 
of how God's salvation plan has been fulfilled in Jesus and also how we've been caught up in that. But here's the twist. Whilst we no longer need to offer a sacrifice for our sin to be recipients of God's mercy, it is because we are recipients of God's mercy that we now lay down our whole lives for him. So this is not like one of those buy now, pay later schemes, you know, which God says, well, here's forgiveness, now pay it back in instalments and increments. But because if you've put your trust in Jesus, we have completely received that gift that cannot be taken away, we now set about living in response to this good news. As you put your trust in Jesus, you've become a whole new person, with our lives set on a new orbit around Jesus, but also a new path to follow. We're diverted from from death and set on a trajectory for everlasting life. We no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, but now are God's kingdom of light. Therefore, we offer our whole lives to him. When Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, that can sound a bit strange, I think, when we first hear that. And of course, he's not implying that it's only our bodies that matter to God. It's all-encompassing. But Paul, in part, is making the point that it's not less than our bodies. In the Platonic thinking of the time when Paul wrote this letter, the body was thought of as an embarrassing encumbrance. There was even a saying at the time saying the body is a tomb, meaning, as one commentator puts it, the human spirit was imprisoned in the body and from which it longed to escape. But in view of God's kingdom, creation, new creation, every part of us matters. Every part of our life has the potential to be offered to God as holy, living and pleasing to him. God doesn't just want us to offer our our thoughts or our feelings, but we'd offer even our bodies. So think it through. Our our minds, our our heart, our ears, our eyes, our mouths, our, our hands, our all. You could go around your entire body, work through the entire anatomy, offering it all to God, putting it all at God's disposal. That's actually a really practical and helpful way to to start your your day in prayer. Our bodies, what we do with them, what we don't do with them, and where we take them. So think through your week. Going to work. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to and for God. Get home. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to and for God. God. Go to school, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to and for God. Gather at church, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to and for God. We live and learn, work and play, shop and serve, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to and for God. Living, living because the death has already occurred. We now are the recipients of life. Holy, because we're redeemed, we're set apart, we're dedicated for God's purposes and plans. And pleasing, because lives orientated to God, doing his will, 
is what brings him joy. I actually find it remarkably encouraging, especially when decisions, faithful decisions feel hard, that each and every time that I offer part of my life to God, that, that he would be pleased with that? I mean, how good is that? Not, not in a way that I have to earn my salvation, but in a way in which we, we get to enjoy him. We're not appeasing him, we're pleasing him. But note that just as our offering of ourselves to God is comprehensive, that is, it involves whole of life, it's also continuous. It's a lifelong rhythm following Jesus as your Lord. You might have heard this really bad joke. Um, you know the problem with the living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the table. But it's true. We need to offer ourselves to God as a, as a living sacrifice continuously, daily, or many times a day. That's where we begin and we begin again and again and again. In view of God's mercy, daily offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Second, in view of God's mercy, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. When Paul says do not conform, this is actually really contrary to our modern way of thinking. It's contrary because whilst modern wisdom suggests that you be you and do as you please, Paul says, actually, be on guard, for there are things that we ought not to do, think, love, or pursue, and they all fit under this category of pattern of this world. So how do we do that? Well, it involves a twofold recognition. First, that we'd have the humility to recognise that we're all impressionable. We're continually being shaped and discipled by an enormous array of, of influences, and we're actually all kind of wired for uh, social conformity. So it's not just when you, you visit a different country and you pick up the accent really quickly or something like that, or when you start dressing like your friends, or when owners start looking like their pets or something like that. Uh, but there's part of our nature, and, and maybe it's bundled up a bit with being accepted and liked and, and, and self-worth, that actually we long often to, to mirror those around us, the world around us, and the environment in which we've been placed. And, and so that means that we need to watch who or what you're imitating. There's actually just been some recent research that's come out about the use of social media that really demonstrates just how impressionable we can be. In fact, one study found that our brains can be really malleable that when we watch reels, so short videos on social media, when we watch those in quick succession, one after the other, not only is it actually really addictive, it works on the same principle as gambling, not only is it really addictive because our brains are expecting a reward and a little hit of dopamine one after the other in random intervals, but actually there's new evidence to suggest that as we do that, it's physiologically changing our brains. Now, I'm not suggesting that social media is the biggest, baddest wolf of them all and we blame for everything, because, of course, we're bombarded with all sorts of things really vying for us to conform. But what it highlights is just how susceptible to influence we can be. On a podcast that I regularly listen to called Slow Theology, if you've not heard it before, you should check it out, it's really good, I've been surprised, actually, on a number of occasions when one of the hosts of that show, who's always so helpful, 
regularly comments that he needs to be cautious about what he listens to and what he reads because he acknowledges he's just really readily swayed and persuaded by others. Now, he's not saying that we should race off, build a bunker and hide until Jesus returns because if we did that, we can even influence ourselves in unhelpful ways. Nor is he saying that we should automatically assume everything in the world is evil and our default position should be one of opposition. He just simply has the humility to recognise that not only are we all being shaped all the time, but none of us are immune, we're all susceptible. Which means we not only need to recognise that we are impressionable, but we need to recognise the pattern of this world. When you hear that phrase, the pattern of this world, it's simply meaning the age that we live in. We live in a dark and a broken world. The pattern of this world includes things like its priorities, its values, its principles, its ways of thinking or cultural expectations, its standards of behaviour, what's approved and what is not approved. Those things that that don't include or, or actively exclude God from the picture. I remember a few years back when the Prime Minister of the UK publicly said that the church ought to get with the program on one particular uh, issue. Tom Wright, so Bishop Tom Wright, responded to that in an article and said, well, actually, Christians don't need to get with the program. Uh, Christians should stick with the countercultural gospel. And actually, even more than that, they ought to be careful about getting on with what our culture dictates. For he says, the spirit of the age can be notoriously fickle. He said, you might as well, walking in the mist, take a compass bearing on a mountain goat. Now, interestingly, the issue was one that Tom actually agreed on. But his point was was the method. His problem was the methodology. Our priority is not to conform to the world, but that we let the gospel be the measure of our lives. Now, that non-conformity is proactive and reactive. Proactive resistance to the things that are not of God's way of doing things, but actually also active removal of taking off the things in our own lives that are not of God. So not only sin, but priorities, values, things that we pursue that are out of step with God's kingdom. We need to recognise that we're all impressionable. We're actually conforming creatures. We need to recognise that we're all continuously being discipled by our culture. And therefore, we need to recognise, discern the pattern of this world. So not only does God give us the gift of his spirit, his word and his people to help us resist and remove those things not of God, but Paul seems to be suggesting that the way that we discern God's good, pleasing and perfect will is not some sort of ability that we wake up with or we unlock at some point in the Christian journey, but it's something that actually we grow in as we keep practising it. Every time you resist the pattern of this world, Every time you remove, throw off the things that are not of God's kingdom, you are cooperating with the Spirit's work in you and you're growing in your capacity to discern God's will. Third, in view of God's mercy, be transformed in the likeness of Jesus. So verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul wants us to think about what we think about. A rhythm of life lived out in response to God's mercy means offering our lives as a living sacrifice, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but it also involves a transformation through the renewal of our minds. Paul's not posturing as some sort of intellectual elite, but he's recognising what modern psychology has actually also recognised, that there's a connection between our thoughts and our behaviour. Actually, here, when Paul talks about his mind, he's not only talking about our intellect, but also even our moral conduct. And so you might remember elsewhere, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In fact, I think implied is even more, put those things into practice. God knows our inner thoughts. God doesn't just want our bodies. He wants our whole selves. God isn't just at work transforming us in part, but he's at work transforming us completely. The word here for be transformed, it's actually the same word that is used of the transfiguration of Jesus. So this is dramatic change. I think sometimes, actually, we underestimate. It can be really convenient to underestimate how dramatic of a transformation that God desires in us. Yes, that work won't be completed until Jesus returns, but there still is a work in progress today. I think it's no wonder that when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he said that we're being transformed into the likeness of God, he says, in ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is part of the mighty work that God is at work doing. That's part of the work of the Spirit with which we can cooperate. In God's kindness we are equipped to discern and put these things in action. We are forgiven in those times when we fall short. And we are certain that he will one day bring that work to completion. And so that means, really practically, that whatever we can do now to help our, our minds focus on the things of Christ, to, to grow in our understanding of the gospel and who God is, to plumb the depths and marvel at the beauty of God, along with putting them into practice, that is worshipful cooperation with the Spirit who is at work. We've already talked about not conforming to the pattern of this world, but this means in the coming year, you should also do whatever you can that will help you turn up the volume on the thoughts and the things of God. Some of the earliest Christians described this process as to learn Christ or to learn Jesus. Now, that doesn't just mean memorising lots of facts about Jesus or words of Jesus, but that's also a good thing to do but that we keep growing in our understanding, relationship and practice as Christians. So think about what are the patterns that help you to learn Christ. So gathering as God's people, small groups, daily devotions, they're all good places to start. 
And if any of those things, I want to encourage you that if any of those things are not part of your regular rhythm of life, well, look to make them a priority in 2024. You might want to come along to the Ridley Certificate. You could look out for events of the Centre for Work and Faith. You know, their very purpose is to help you learn Jesus, to, to think biblically about the various front lines in which God has placed us. Or as Mike Bird puts it, fill your head with scripture, hymns, novels, art and songs, which will strengthen your cerebral capacities to understand and articulate your faith. No, I'm not saying to go get a PhD in theology, but put some effort into growing in your knowledge of all things pertaining to God. If you would engage in professional development to enhance your career, why not some spiritual development to enhance your faith? One of my favourite things about our, our youngest child, Giovanna, is that she's almost always singing, and so often at home I can hear her singing from her room, uh, singing along, making up the words and the, the melody as she goes about her play, her study, her storytelling, or even her, her errands. And as I hear this, it's like she's got a soundtrack playing that's constantly set on repeat. And that music just infiltrates, permeates into to every aspect of her life. I wonder, what will be the soundtrack to your 2024? What tune in your life will you be singing along to? Personally, I want it to be the good news of God's mercy. That we daily offer our lives as living sacrifice. That we not conform to the pattern of this world. That we be transformed more and more in the likeness of Jesus. So why don't we pray and ask for God's help with that. And as we begin this time of prayer, I want to reread these two verses from chapter 12. And I encourage you that as I read them, you might offer them as a prayer. As we look to the new year, we have set our heart and our mind on the things of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies the living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Gracious God, how we thank you for your extraordinary loving mercy. We thank you that we receive your mercy as a gift. There's nothing that we can do nor have done to earn it. But you have freely and lovingly poured it out. Lord, would you please help us to grow in the depth of our wonder and appreciation of just how beautiful your mercy is. And as we look to this new year, that today afresh, we offer our lives to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, please help us with that in the power of your spirit. We particularly pray, Lord, in the power of your spirit that you would give us wisdom, that we would recognise the patterns of this world and that we would seek to be conformed, not necessarily to the world around us, but in the very likeness of your son. Lord, would you please help us to really instil rhythms of life 
that really facilitate that transformation in the power of your spirit. Lord, please help us to put on whatever is helpful, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is true. Lord, would you please use this whole year and our lives for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.